On this episode, we discuss Ghostbusters Afterlife. So fire up your protein packs and drink your ecto coolers. <laughs> <laughs> Dan McCoy from the Flophouse. Hi. Welcome to the Flophouse. It's me, Dan. Hey, Dan. It's me, Stuart Wellington. Oh, okay. Good. And it's, good. Yeah? it's me, Elliot Kalen, over here. It seems oh. like Dan was worried people would, would were across a crowded room listening to this and didn't see him waving, waving uh-huh. them over for the episode. <laughs> Listen to me. We're talking Ghostbusters over here. And I, I was trying I to yell. do that fun thing in a podcast where you uh, have silence so people are like, did my fucking earbuds break? <laughs> that is fun. It's fun just stuff. like that, that last episode of The Sopranos where I was like, damn Time Warner cutting off my cable mm-hmm. in the middle of the end of this Sopranos episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk about The Sopranos later. First, I wanted to mention real quick, last week we did our Flophouse virtual live show about the Masters of the Universe movie. It was great. We're actually recording this before we do that show, so I'm just going to assume it was amazing. Thank you, everybody, for watching it and all your questions and stuff. If you missed it, you still have, and you're listening to this episode on the day of its release. You still have one day to go buy a ticket to watch the recording of the show. So you have one day left to watch the recording of the show, that Masters of the Universe live show, before it disappears forever back to the Disney vault, never mm. to be released. Because the Disney people are going to be like, what's this doing in our vault? Throw it away. This is not a Disney product. <laughs> it's not a property that we own. Uh, no, so go to theflophouse.simpletix.com and you have one more day to buy a ticket to watch the recording of the show in case you missed it. That's theflophouse.simpletix.com. If you're listening to this any day after the day of its release, I'm sorry, it's too late. I apologize. Yeah, bummer. Thank you for uh, that. So, Elliot, uh, we you put a pin in The Sopranos. So let's talk about, uh, do you think those Super Bowl ads indicate that Meadow and AJ survived the end of the series <laughs> and in fact are driving around in SUVs? What do you think? It's possible. I don't usually consider commercials to be canon aside from mm. the Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny cartoon commercial. And the, uh, and the Bud Bowl. <laughs> And the Bud Bowl, which is, of course, yeah, which is athletic history. Uh, I would say my read of the Sopranos finale was also that at that moment, uh, there was a first strike from North Korea on New Jersey, and it wiped out not only all the Sopranos <laughs> yeah. characters, but the entire state. So uh-huh. that's it doesn't fit with my personal understanding of the show. David Chase, write in and prove me wrong. Otherwise, yep. I'm just going to assume I'm correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of fan fiction, Ghostbusters Afterlife, this is a... <laughs> This is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. That's wait, uh, we're a kid in Oklahoma, yeah. that watches a bad we're movie and talks about we're the it. Character podcast, but guys, is this your new favorite character podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, great. how could he not be? We never learn his real name, and he mm-hmm. talk. He's my favorite thing, which is a kid who talks like a grown up and makes jokes that grown ups make and not that mm-hmm. kids make. It was like it was only once I realized like that he is very similar to Dan Aykroyd. Like, not not necessarily the character Ray, a little bit the character Ray, more the actual human Dan Aykroyd. 
that I realized that by the end of the movie, they were kind of deliberately doing parallels yeah, of all yeah. of the old Ghostbusters to some degree, to some degree. But to some, de- I mean, I mean, in that there is a nerdy character, a kind of paranoid character, a character who you wonder why he's even a member of the Ghostbusters, and a black character. Yes, I get you're right. I guess it is paralleling the <laughs> well, old Ghostbusters. Well, I think that that's about yeah. the level at which the movie operates. So, yeah. but anyway, I uh, podcast guys. I just want to say this to to screenwriters and television people out there uh-huh. in the world. There seems to be this idea that just mentioning the existence of podcasts is a, a joke in, in TV or movies. It certainly is when you're in a strip club and get asked what you do for a <laughs> living. Well, that's a situation where it's funny <laughs> to have to say podcast. But I think that there a lot of shows are th- like seem to just be like, ha ha. The, the word podcast will elicit gales of laughter from the audience. Just the mere mention that a well, character it's, it's might a, have one. It's the th- it, we're at this moment where, I mean, and obviously podcasts are not at the same level as this, but like when you watch stuff from the 60s and they're like, oh uh, yeah, this rock and roll music and the mm-hmm, audience yeah. laughs because it's like, can you believe this dumb thing that young people are into? Of course, the people who make these jokes don't seem to realize that podcasting is almost entirely the province of ma- middle-aged men uh, <laughs> with, with, with some younger people involved. But it's uh, there. But yeah, I think it's just because it's a new thing that they can throw yeah. out as like a, a buzzword. You know, uh, yeah. I, I met this. I think TikTok functions the same way mm-hmm. in a lot For of things. Yeah, slightly younger generation. And Whereas just TikTok, TikTok is full of useful things like Stuart's butt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. so if you exercise that can... increases butt. <laughs> It's the best place to go to see Stuart in- exercising to increase his butt. Is that the way yeah, to describe yeah. it? Like, you know, like the old rhyme: "We must, we must, we must increase our butts." <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. That one. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to reach over Dan's body and grab the wheel of the Ecto One <laughs> that he is careening off the road, so we can uh-huh. go back to Thank Ghostbusters you. Afterlife. Uh, yeah. I'll be, I'll be summarizing this. Now um, we normally watch. Movie. Now we normally watch a movie that is either a critical or financial flop, and this yeah. movie yes. kind of wasn't either thing. Uh, well, I'm going th- to give up. I mean, we started watching it. I mean, I feel like a big reason we watch is because. Uh, Dan had already seen it, mm. and Elliot and I both wanted to see it, but we have a probably a toxic relationship with media, and the only way we could <laughs> find a way to interact with it is to do it for the podcast. Right, I whereas think, I'll, I I'll just I go th- out and see any old junk. <laughs> yeah, I think it's there's sometimes movies where I want to watch them for the Flophouse because I know I'm not going to – I'm probably not going to enjoy them. So mm. the Flophouse is a good reason, a good excuse for me to see a movie that I'm yeah. probably not going to enjoy. When yeah. real, it's like the part of my brain when Man of Steel came out and I was like, I guess I got to go see it even though I know I'm not going to like it. And then I was like, yeah. wait a minute, I don't have to go see it. And I never have. Uh-huh. And it's a decision <laughs> I never I never regretted. It's, you know? Dan is the kind of moviegoer who stands outside the theater and looks at the sack lunch poster and he's like, how did they all get in that bag? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I gotta I mean, go see I, it. I, I, I will say that a lot of my... looked at posters and been intrigued, yeah. A lot of my... Um, <laughs> I will say that a lot of my movie going has to do with, one, me having uh, a season pass, the Alamo. Yeah. Two, not having a nine to five job at present I mean, it, I, I and think, three well, being childless. So those things <laughs> yeah. all together kind of. Stuart, for you and me, a movie is something that we hope to make the time for in our busy day. And for Dan, a movie is something to fill the endless time <laughs> he has between now and death. death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this vast barren landscape mm-hmm. that he's traversing until he finally reaches the, the Reaper's <laughs> humble, loving embrace. Oh, he has to fill it with something. It. Yeah, <laughs> Elliot gets it. You're right. 
<laughs> okay, so Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm gonna, spoiler alert, I think it's a mediocre movie. Okay, so <laughs> there, there's it's a mediocre, pointless movie, but we'll go on to it. Uh, we start off, there's a truck with a ghost trap in it, just racing through a small town. Uh, it crashes, and an old man with glasses and a beard, who we only see in shadows, but he is clearly <laughs> a Harold Ramis body double, uh, is uh, he runs into a house. Uh, he manages to try. He tries to trap a giant, growling, invisible demon dog ghost, which it's invisible and it's a ghost, but it still makes footprints on the ground <laughs> that shakes the ground, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> like, uh, and uh, but it grabs him through the chair, just like uh, it, the demon dog arms grabbed Dana in Ghostbusters. It's yeah. the first of many times that we're going to see something that is just taken wholesale from the first movie, much like the score, which is. The score from the first movie, I, just yeah, which is one of the best things about yeah. uh, seeing this movie. I enjoyed listening to those tunes again. Except, it's yeah. what, <laughs> except there are a couple tunes in the movie. I think in the original movie they must play them four times, and in this movie they play them forty times. Yeah. So like yeah. do 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 the like whimsical like we just had mm-hmm. a ghost about jokes. Yeah, music. I also a like joke the, about ghosts. I do like the eerie like ghost music. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, I still yeah. like it. <laughs> It's a great yeah. score. It's a great score. Just, uh, you know, sometimes when I thing, see a new movie, I want to see the, new stuff in it. One thing that this one is missing is the weird uh, songs with lyric drops that the uh, that the Ghost, the original Ghostbusters movie had, like right. when all the ghosts get released and that, like, what is it, like, dreams? Like, yeah, what's yeah. that shit? Yeah. It's, it's, Dream it's, uh, is magic, magic, magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah the magic, magic part. Magic, yeah, I love that magic, shit. Magic, magic. Yeah, and the, the saving the day, saving yep. the day. Like, the yeah. weird thing yeah. is this movie... It's decided that its soundtrack should be all oldies. I think the most recent song in it is <laughs> Boredom by the Buzzcocks. And I don't, it's, this movie, okay, and here's, I'll get yeah, to a problem well, I have the, this movie. You know, okay, it's because they're okay, in a okay, small okay. town and, you know, no modern music has permeated it's a small crazy. town. <laughs> it's a small town in the year now because they have a podcast yeah. in it. But like, it's this small town that's like, yep, well, there's the roller skating car hop drive through and like drive in <laughs> and here's all the oldies music. And it's like, they have the internet like they look at yeah, a youtube video like they go to yeah, walmart like, these alert. things are modern things yeah spoiler alert this movie doesn't actually feature my favorite ghostbusters character the city of new york oh. yes and that's it all yeah. takes that's, place in a small town in oklahoma this and this is an issue i'm going to refer to this movie well actually I'll, I'll talk about it now this movie so it's directed by jason reitman son of ivan reitman director of the original ghostbusters who passed away was that earlier this year? Or was that the end of last year? Yes, yeah, so, uh, fairly recently. Fairly I mean, recently, speaking, and so within the we last mean few no months. disrespect to we mean don't, no disrespect to Ivan Reitman by by doing this. Jason Reitman, I, I you know I'm not a fan of his work particularly, so maybe some disrespect, but it does <laughs> so, feel like it does so feel like whatever this, we do is fine. Cheers to time. Ivan Reitman. <laughs> Cheers to Jason. Reitman. Yeah, the. Uh, uh, the, the But that Ghostbusters Afterlife is so much less in the mold of the original Ghostbusters, even though it's repeating scenes and characters, mm-hmm. and so much more in the mold of like E.T., Close Encounters, and particularly Stranger Things, yes. like as filtered through Stranger Things. It's what I call a kids with flashlights movie where yeah, kids on bikes. a lot of kids – yeah, yeah, kids on bikes, kids with flashlights investigating things. And it feels like we are in the middle of this weird Oedipal struggle where Jason Reitman is trying to overthrow Ivan Reitman and replace him with either Steven Spielberg or the Duffer Brothers <laughs> and be like, they're my real dads. That's the style I'm going in now. Yeah. Well, and feel- and, oh, sorry. I just like as, as long as we're like pulling out and giving like the macro view, uh, I'll let you continue. I'm sorry I jumped in. Yeah, we're but, macro like, machines. I, I do mm-hmm. feel like. That's where you talk to, super slow. I was saying to Stuart. <laughs> I was saying to Stuart hey, that kids, macro <laughs> machines are the best. I belong yeah. to the slow talkers, talkers. <laughs> talkers. of America. Oh, what a great of bit. 
America? The United States. Oh, damn. <laughs> no, no, um, Bob and Ray. Look them up. Uh, oh, so, Bob and no, Ray. So what what, no, what Jesus just, is. I was saying to Stuart beforehand, like, the weird thing about this movie is there is stuff in this movie that I like at least okay, and all that stuff is the stuff that has the least to do with the series called Ghostbusters. Yes. But the weird thing about the movie is all of its creative decisions are made because there was a movie called Ghostbusters. Like, the, it does was not exist on its own. No, and it, it's very it does it's similar to how like Solo would be a better movie if it was not a Star Wars movie. Yes. This would be a better movie if it was not a Ghostbusters movie because it's like I kept being reminded of the new Mary Poppins movie where they were like in Mary Poppins they go to a cartoon world. We shall also go to a cartoon world. In Mary Poppins there's a chimney sweep. They go dance. to Cool World. <laughs> yeah, they go to Cool World and ho- and Mary Mary and has sex with Hollywood. Sex yeah, Man, Hollywood Mar- and Mary sex. I that, fucking get and, it, dude. And it's like at they had a song about kites. We will have a song about, I think, balloons. It was like, mm. there was no new stuff. And the thing that mm-hmm. was always exciting to me about, as a kid, about Ghostbusters was, one, it was like a movie I had not seen before. This, like, horror comedy that was so, like, scary, but also, like, really funny. But also, like Stuart was saying, like, it had that New York energy, which to me, growing up in New Jersey, was, like, a very special thing. Like, I, I literally wrote an essay in a book called Never Can Say Goodbye, like, about my feelings about how New York is portrayed in specifically Ghostbusters and some other movies like that. But anyway, and it feels like this one is, it is like, just, it's not an, it's, there's nothing really original about it. The things that are mm-hmm. fun about it, like you're saying, Dan, are the few like newish touches. But anyway, uh, anyway, this ghost monster kills this old man who's clearly Egon, but we're not, I guess, not supposed to know that. But it all <laughs> yeah. feels like an Amblin movie. Uh, yeah. and to be honest, it felt like that fan-made Power Rangers all grown up movie. Like the opening feels like a, fans like like a, like dan mentioned earlier like a fan fiction of a ghostbusters like what would have happened to egon 40 years later you yeah know? yeah yeah well and also i mean i spoiler alert the first time i saw this in the theater i liked it fine like i didn't think it was good but i sort of enjoyed myself it is probably i would say it's the least successful movie with the word ghostbusters in its title that exists but i still it, it kind of enjoyed myself Watching it for a second time for the podcast, I it, like it felt really choppy for me, and just stuff happens for no yes. particular reason, and there's no like real overarching story other than like let's make a bunch of references to old stuff. But I don't know about I that, but it, it feels going. very rushed. Like a lot of the yeah. time, the movies kind of builds, 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 and then rushes through its climaxes. But we'll get to that anyway. Let's meet our main characters. You've got Trevor. He's kind of a teen who has no real characteristics other than being kind of a teen. That's Finn Wolfhard. You mm-hmm. got his nerd genius sister, Phoebe, uh, who, to be honest, feels both like a character and also reminded me of a real person that I know. So there are times where her performance felt like, oh, this I know this person. And times I, where I was like... I think she provides think actually a certain amount of... Gra- like, I think she's a for basically the lead of the movie. I think she... I think she holds the yeah, thing yeah. together, especially for I being think she's a young a actor. Kid. Yeah, like she uh, carries she carries it the best for sure. I think and, the uh, problem with the character is just that, like, you know, great to have some sort of representation of people who like have uh, different are neurodivergent in some way, but I think it is kind of a cartoon version of like we have decided yes. that we're going to make every character on the spectrum these days for this sort of role. And well, it's, it's a big bang theory type character. Like, like she is, Mm -hmm. she's a nerd who's awkward and has a running gag where she like, can't tell good jokes, which is mm-hmm. hilarious to me because kids can't tell good jokes. That's what's funny about kid jokes. Like <laughs> yeah. there's no kid that tells good jokes. And so the idea that like, she's telling these kind of like, 
these ch- telling jokes. She's doing in a, a way great that, job. For she's a doing a great job <laughs> yeah. for a kid. Yeah. yeah. And so, but I agree. It's kind of like a flattened version of a neurodivergent par- character. Anyway, they have a single mom, Carrie Coon, uh, because every and every one of these movies, they have single moms always. Yeah. Dads Who, by the are way, for me, like, I just want to say, Carrie Coon can do no wrong. Like. The most fun I had in this movie is watching. Oh yeah, is, I, think I mean the most fun I had job. was seeing the most fun I had was seeing Tracy Letts show up as a hardware store owner and imagining the two of them <laughs> driving to the hotel at night and being author like, of Killer so, Joe Tracy Letts <laughs> and, and and husband of Carrie Coon Tracy Letts. So it was mm-hmm. like it was like who who did who did playwright Tracy Letts have to fuck to get to this <laughs> to get this role in the Ghostbusters <laughs> to get this uncredited role in Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife? Yeah, to get his cameo as a hardware store owner. But anyway. Yeah. uh they uh they they get evicted from their apartment even though the mom thinks she inherited some money from her newly uh dead father uh who again we know is Egon like the movie is just, but they all these will not we, tell us they're like they will <laughs> not they they are they are edging us so bad with this information we uh-huh. know we're just waiting for it they move out to his <laughs> we're gonna be so surprised even though McKenna Grace is dressed as young Egon on CBS this fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the uh, point that later on she puts her glasses up against Egon's glasses and they're the same glasses. And they're the same glasses, yeah. <laughs> the, and so they moved to uh, where Egon's farm was, uh, Somerville, Oklahoma. Uh, it's this little farm town that nobody lives in except for four people uh, in the middle of nowhere. And Sorry, guys, hit- I just needed to confirm this information. Did you guys know that young Sheldon has been on for... <laughs> <laughs> fucking over six seasons? I did not know that. What the yeah, hell? He's not young anymore. He's now no. middle-aged Sheldon. How old is a Sheldon? Oh, I don't <laughs> know. He's actually, Dan, Dan, here's the weird thing. He's actually older on young Sheldon now than he was on the Big Bang what? Theory. That's how long the show has been <laughs> Talk on. about the theory of relativity. <laughs> <laughs> well, Did that the make sense? Of relativity. <laughs> okay. It's not really what the theory of relativity is. Speaking of relativity... <laughs> Uh, or rather, word that sounds like it. Revelations. There's a big evil prophecy, mm-hmm. paint spray painted on the fence of this of this creepy old farm. Uh, it's like a rundown mad scientist house. It's full of cryptic stuff and books and uh, like and scary statues. And that's and stuff. all from the first Ghostbusters, right? Yes. I mean, and there's also like a there's also a stack of books in the living room, like in the opening of the first Ghostbusters. Yeah, right? yeah. It's all it's all it's all ghost. It's like um. When people are like, oh, the prequels are great because they mirror all the stuff in the first Star Wars trilogy exactly. And you're like, well, that's not really how, what makes great art when you just kind of like mirror a thing exactly <laughs> from one to another. Uh, there's an earthquake, which leads them to hide under a table, which means that Phoebe notices a dropped ghostometer that Egon dropped <laughs> so, in the cold open. Isn't I don't it a remember. PKE meter? PKE. Uh-huh. I couldn't remember what it was called. And I had the toy of it. I had so many Ghostbusters toys as a kid. Like, yeah. I was the exact right age to watch the cartoon, to love the movies, to have all the toys. I remember so well one Hanukkah, uh, my brother – uh, friend of the show, frenemy of the show, David, last name withheld, Kalen. He was getting the Ghostbusters uh, firehouse set for Hanukkah. Oh. And my parents, they were like, that box is too big. We're not going to bother wrapping it. And wow. he would just sit there in the living room <laughs> staring at the box, waiting oh, no, for, that's for so the sad. night that he could open it. I, the one That's incredible. The one Ghostbusters toy I had was the real Ghostbusters version of Egon with the blonde pompadour and mm-hmm. the uh, the little like hard string of plastic that would spin around when you like twirl the the proton pack uh, Love it. yeah it had yeah. it had like a little proton stream coming out yeah of it. um and this is and now we get to the, literally the most exciting moment of the movie to me annie potts mm. shows up in the role of janine <laughs> yeah and she's and she's just there to tell them that uh egon died with the, or or that her father they refused to name him no the, the, uh, for a while that carrie coon's father has died uh in debt they have no money yeah. they're stuck here in oklahoma 
Uh, there's a lot of like, there's, it's pretty, this whole scene is shot, is pretty antagonistic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, they go to, they go to a car hop for, for dinner. Cause again, it's small town, Oklahoma in the year 2021. The only place to eat is a fifties <laughs> diner where they, with, with roller skating waitresses and Finn, uh, uh, Finn Wolfhard playing Trevor. Trevor gets a crush on, is her name Lucky? Yeah. Yeah. She's a, a roller skating waitress, uh, who she thinks he's a dork. And it turns out she's like. He's 15. How old is she supposed to be? Like 17 I, or something? I don't like know. She he seems very He claims shocked. that he's 17 though. Yeah. And then there's a joke later on where it's it's revealed that he's only 15. And I it was a good, I thought that was a good bit. I feel yeah, and like, I was like what is this licorice pizza? Come on everybody. This yeah, Dan? character was instructed <laughs> enough. to be like he was like just do it like MJ in, in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like it's yeah. the same kind of like very disaffected but still kind of into this guy for reasons that pass understanding i mean it's the classic thing of this guy is the main character he's yeah. super awkward the, the the pretty girl has to be into him at some point mm -hmm. because he's the he, one of the stars in the movie and they're not given a real reason i was i was waiting throughout the movie for the scene where trevor shows what characteristic of him makes him an interesting character and it never happens he's such a nothing yeah. as a character i mean yeah. you shouldn't like the reason why anybody likes anybody should not have to be defined by plot <laughs> reasons <laughs> like no but no but even True. like the, i'm i was looking for the moment where like he says something nice or funny or shows a talent or something That's that gets fair. her attention so That's he's not just fair. like a 15 year old I, dork you know? i agree in that like i think that finn wolfhard is an actor that i think is charismatic on stranger things no matter what you think of yeah. like i know i know a lot of people are like uh too much nostalgia i still enjoy it but like i think he's a charismatic actor there whereas here he's kind of asked to do like a warmed over version of the same character but without with like fewer distinguishing yeah, here's what I would say. You're right there. I, I would have really played up the fact that he's a New Yorker transplanted to Oklahoma. Chicago, at least a big Chicago city kid. transplanter. Yeah. Oh, Chicago. That he's he's a he's a uh, so New York Midwest, and uh, so that he's a Chicago kid transplanted to Oklahoma and make Lucky interested in like this city kid. I would have really played up yeah. that he's a city kid, and they don't really do that they because they do of, indicate that she like kind of has aspirations outside of their small town. Yes, yeah. that would all fit together. You should really sing he, like a "Why Should I Worry" Billy Joel song while like dancing on top of cars. It's an Oliver and Company thing, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, mm -hmm. that's yep. not Chicago related, but you <laughs> well, know, just like a big city. I mean, you know, he's got that when big I think, city energy, when I you think know? Billy Joel, I think like Chicago for sure. <laughs> Chicago's native <laughs> yeah. son, favorite son, Billy Joel. I, yeah. I didn't hear you say anything about Chicago. I was responding to the big city thing. Yeah, I think we're we should, living I think here we in take Chicago. Billy Joel to a town that he has to drive drunk more often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm on the down Easter Chicago. He has so mm. many Chicago songs, you know. Uh, anyway. The uh, they're wandering around he, while and while wandering around searching for cell service in the night, uh, Trevor almost finds the Ecto one in the garage, but he doesn't. But we know it's there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Phoebe just, starts playing it's chess. More that edging, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Phoebe starts playing chess with a ghost. We can figure out who the ghost is, uh, but I won't spoil it. We'll we'll get to it later. But she goes from I don't believe in ghosts to playing chess with a ghost to still not quite believing in ghosts to then uh -huh. believing in ghosts. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. such a it's a weird arc. Uh, Phoebe it's goes fine. to summer school. Uh, she's be overseen by teacher Paul Rudd, uh, and he is showing the class 80s horror movies. Uh, on VHS tapes? Yeah. What do you on VHS think of tape. Paul Rudd in this role? Because I have complicated feelings, which is like, I think that we're getting kind of standard order Paul Rudd from yeah. this character. Yes. Yeah. But I like standard order Paul Rudd quite a bit. 
I mean, I, so I still enjoyed seeing him, but I also was kind of confused by who this character was supposed to be because he seems like a slacker at the beginning, like showing Cujo to the kids, but then he's also like a really good scientist who's like really empathetic with Phoebe. Well, so. he's, he's a he's a seismologist who went there to study earthquakes yeah. and had to take a job he doesn't like as a school teacher. And he, but you're right. It, I feel like every performer in this is trying their hardest with very thin material. And so yeah. Paul Rudd is not given much else to do other than be, like you're saying, standard Paul Rudd. I Stuart? actually I actually think Paul Rudd is the most, uh, has the most understandable motivation because I too desperately want Carrie Coon to like me. Okay, well, I can understand <laughs> that part. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the weird thing is that I think Carrie Coon is so cool and she's a great actress, but in this movie, she's just kind of a dick to everybody. She's always bitter. That's what Rudd, I want her to be to me. <laughs> I will say that I think that Have you seen the Gilded Age? Extremely <laughs> good at being like kind of like a dick while still being extremely likable. I think that like when I first noticed her was in Gone Girl where she was basically there to just be like Ben Affleck, you're an idiot at uh-huh. every turn. Yeah, but yeah. she was, was so right. Good ben Affleck it. was being an idiot of it. But I, yeah. Carrie Coon, Carrie Coon is the kind of, kind of woman that I was really attracted to in college where I was like, yeah, yeah, these like acerbic girls. And then I realized like, oh, they're very mean to me all the time. Like uh-huh. they never, it's never like I get in good with them and they stop being mean. Oh, look, it's look at always it. mean. Look at this guy who has sense of worth. <laughs> He's got value for himself. <laughs> fair point, fair point, fair point. Uh, so um, Phoebe meets the aforementioned podcast that Dan couldn't wait to talk about. Who's a kid <laughs> who has a podcast and does not have a name. He just calls Do, himself podcast. I kind of want to point something out now. I know, I guess this is a character that's supposed to be bad at uh, that his podcast isn't very popular, but it did bug me that he immediately starts interviewing her and he has this like, uh, he has a microphone and he'll put the microphone in her face. But when he asks her questions, he doesn't speak into his own mm. microphone and yeah, it kind of yeah. bugged me. <laughs> I mean, the, the podcasting is at the same level as the podcasting and only murders in the building where you're like, so this podcast is two minutes long. <laughs> it's just you narrating for a sh- like dramatically for a short time, and then that's it. That's the whole episode. Like, wait, you can yeah. put out episodes that are that fucking short. Don't, oh, do, Dan. Oh don't let him know. Don't uh, let no, him no, know. No, no, no. This is you know, the world of fantasy, doing? Hollywood, movie magic. So, uh, so uh, Phoebe bonds with Paul Rudd over seismology, and it's really she looks at it. She looks at a, at a chart, and she goes. That's not this or this. And he goes, well, let me explain. This is like this, and this is like this. He mansplains to her exactly what she just said, and it's for the audience's benefit, but it's such a weird moment because it's like, I'm supposed to like Paul Rudd, right? So the fact that he immediately tells this kid, hey, let me just tell you what you thought, what you told me is, I don't know. I mean, it certainly helps that it's Paul Rudd, though. I mean, he's a very difficult person to dislike. Mm, And uh, that's why he's the sexiest person alive. It's just he's, Uh he's, it's hard to dislike. which is interesting because if you kind of do like map this onto the the original Ghostbusters, he's basically the Rick Moranis character who, yes. funny enough, was people's sexiest man alive when Ghostbusters came That's out. That's true. In 1984, it was sexiest man alive, Rick Moranis. But it was off of it was it was off of SCTV. That was the thing they, that that he was. Tra- so, it was yeah. strange, bro. Give me more now, anus. People were saying. <laughs> yeah, they were saying I want yeah. it in the anus. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the, the, anus, people, you know the the herb the. Yeah. When yeah, what people don't know was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was originally called Honey, I, Rick Moranis, the sexiest man alive, <laughs> shrunk the kids. <laughs> and so uh, he is, there's strange seismic activity in Somerville. It's bizarre. It doesn't make sense. And Phoebe says maybe it's the apocalypse. Anyway, podcast. And over the course of, 
And over the course of the movie, multiple times, there's earthquakes and everything shakes and we get a shot of Tracy Letts in his hardware store looking confused. And then yeah. there's a great there's a great shot of somebody in one of the like the small town cafe made a little tower of donut holes just out in the open <laughs> and a couple of them fall off. And I'm like, this place has seismic activity for a while. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's always funny that they always cut to people in, in, the, in the local businesses. Yeah, just holding hover their hands hovering over things to keep them from falling and it's like yeah learn your lesson don't stack stuff in Somerville yeah this is not maybe a place they to shouldn't add that domino exhibit <laughs> no they, well, I mean when they, they and they're 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 all these signs that say cup stacking Olympics mm. Somerville 2022 it's like oh no this you shouldn't have it there uh so podcast he's a real like Dan was saying earlier he's a real Dan Aykroyd loves ghosts and superstition and stuff yeah. type he's and, trying to prove ghosts like are real game for it like he's 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 along for the ride and it's good oh, to yeah. have a character like that. Oh, sure. He takes Phoebe to the Shandor Mine, uh, named, of course, after Evo Shandor from the that they mentioned once in the original Ghostbusters. And so, of course, he has to be a character yeah. in this. I uh, will say that, like, the whole the whole back half of this movie to, like, flash forward and give, like, a larger view is based around this Gozer slash Zool mythology. And the, the fact that the movie puts so much weight on that really punches up the fact that it's not meant to bear that weight. Like in the original no. Ghostbusters, it is like a couple of sentences of gibberish they toss off just so they can get to the third act. And, the, and, and one of the great they things build the whole the, thing. One of the great things in Ghostbusters is how they toss that stuff off. Like they mm. really toss it off and it's supposed to sound crazy and weird. And they, yeah, exactly. They don't go into it. The, the world building in the first Ghostbusters is so much more about, hey, what would it be like to be a ghost exterminator in New York? And so much yeah. less about... Gozer and all that stuff, you know, and, yeah. and the key master and or the gatekeeper and the key master. But anyway, they go to the Shandor mine where apparently the miners were committing suicide. So they shut it down. And all they left behind was a huge, creepy sculpture of demons, which nobody <laughs> has bothered to change. Uh, Trevor yeah. finally uncovers this decrepit Ecto-1. He's going to fix it later. Uh, Phoebe's ghost meter lights up when she's playing chess and watching the chess pieces move on their own. And the ghost leads her to a secret kind of sliding floor puzzle in the living room mm -hmm. that reveals a hidden compartment with a ghost trap in it. She takes it to school, and Paul Rudd is like, hey, cool, a ghost trap. And he shows them YouTube videos of the yeah. original Ghostbusters. He's like, remember when there were ghosts all over the place in the 80s? Remember the <laughs> Ghostbusters? And I... I have to say that the single weirdest decision this movie makes is the fact that no one seems to remember that ghosts exist, despite the fact that New York was overtaken not once but twice <laughs> with ghosts and had giant things walking around because of ghost energy. And yeah. uh, all, the, the, the Statue America of Liberty literally. The Statue of Liberty left its pedestal, walked across the harbor and up to Manhattan, and then back again. And everyone's like, mm, I don't know. But he goes, he goes, there hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years, which I guess explains it away. You know, it's just yeah. over. You know? Short memories. That's the thing. Ellie. Yeah. It's the same way that people don't remember the Vietnam War because it happened so long ago. Nobody mm -hmm. ever talks about it. We never hear about it. Uh, they open up the uh, they open up the trap and uh, – I get an evil ghost flies out and goes straight yeah. to the mine, the ghost that, that Egon trapped. And he go, oh, your grandfather was a ghostbuster, which the movie is way ahead of – the audience is way ahead of the movie on. Yeah. And this reminds me of a story that uh, John Hodgman once to told me uh, when he was on a TV Name show. Proper. And he was like, oh, the mystery on the show is really easy to, to guess. And the producer of the show said, we have the research. People like to guess it ahead of the show. Yeah. People don't like to be surprised. They like to feel smart. So I feel like the movie the whole time is like, 
Aren't you smarter than these characters? You know it's yeah. Egon. You know these are Ghostbusters. Aren't, that's how I these feel. Dummies. That's how I feel every time I watch an episode of Catfish. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, dude, it's going to be a catfish. And then they get mm-hmm. there and it's a catfish in a tank with a keyboard in the tank. And it's just typing mm-hmm. with those whiskers. And you're like, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, that sounds Phoebe like takes- that sounds like a Miyazaki character. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, My yeah, amazing true. life. It's typing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Phoebe and Paul Rudd and podcast, they go to her house. Uh, there's a little bit of fun with an Aztec death whistle that just sounds like a scream. <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. is it going to be used later on? Of course it is. Uh, and Paul Rudd and the mom are instantly into each other. The kids find a book that happens to have all the information they need about Sumerian demons and Gozer and all that. So yep. they so they all know it already. Uh, Trevor goes and hangs out with his new coworkers at the car hop at the mountain. He started working there. Uh, and he and Lucky are talking and then they see an evil ghost you know, pop its head out of the out of the mine. Uh, and Paul Rudd finds an ancient map of Somerville in the house, and Carrie Coons is like, I don't give a shit, take it. <laughs> like, she's so, she's yeah. so dismissive of anything. Yeah. Could not uh, be less interested. Now, here's a question I have for you guys. Phoebe finds a fire pole in a barn that takes her down to a sub-basement full of Egon science stuff. How does Egon get out of that basement? That's what a, I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> you take a fire pole down. We never see stairs in an elevator. They just cut, and she's not she there anymore. So climb up the pole? Because that <laughs> shit is hard, I imagine. That is very hard. It's very difficult. I mean, Dan can do it because he's got amazing arm strength and Sure, sure, sure. I, mean, sure. I could do it. I shimmy like, all over things. I mean, Dan's built <laughs> yeah. like a gorilla. Like he's just got big arms, yeah, tiny yeah. little legs, uh-huh. and like a, and like big chest. That's Dan. He's just like like an orangutan. Just yeah, like he just huge, does that. Long fu- arms. It's all upper body. Tiny, I'm like, Dan, do you want to do leg day with me? He's yeah. like, fuck that. Dan's Life's built an like upper body big grin. Dan's built like ET, long legs. <laughs> I mean, long arms, no legs. The feet just go into his butt, and a long neck that can extend if he's sexually aroused. Exactly. <laughs> like an English longbowman from the War of the Roses. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so she finds all that stuff. She finds Egon's Ghostbusters jumpsuits. She finds the proton pack. Uh, there's a ghost that's kind of pushing things to re- direct her attention to different stuff, uh, and it teaches her how to fix the proton pack. Meanwhile, Mom goes on a date with Paul Rudd, seemingly in the middle of the afternoon. It's Maybe it's daylight savings time, and it's yeah. just re- light at yeah. late in the day. But yeah, it's a it first like- date. They're having, like, an early dinner, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, there, I can't imagine there's that many restaurants in this town, right? Uh, uh, probably there's not. one where people wear roller skates and yep there's a car hop and there's a sit down <laughs> restaurant yeah, that is yeah, yeah. shocking yeah, one of them few is- chains <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing for Somerville uh, they they try out the proton pack Phoebe and podcast and they blow up some stuff uh oh it leads them I forget how to a kind of like this basically the movie's version of Slimer yeah who is yeah. a ghost that muncher eats metal muncher, muncher. yeah the, uh, and he is who eats, eats metal. metal and then shoots it out of his mouth like bullets. Yes. I mean, this is one of the few times in the movie that we get a new ghost, and yet it still and feels like— And also a like, nude ghost. It still feels like they asked Slimer to come back, and Slimer's like, mm, I got other projects <laughs> I'm doing— and so they got his cousin Muncher. Well, it's like and- sometimes with, they would have Tom Hanks's brother come in and be a stand-in mm-hmm. for him, and it feels like that. Slimer was like, have my brother do it. I'm, I'm yeah, retired. Yeah. At the uh, Slimer lives in Florida. That's me. <laughs> have my brother do it. But uh, it's also— it, I have a question. So, okay, we see two kinds of ghosts in this movie. We see human ghosts that look like themselves when they were alive, yeah. and we see monster ghosts. <laughs> How, which True. one do you become? How does that work? Like, are, yeah, are, well, I mean, is it a Ghostbusters ghosts have always been a flavorful melange of, <laughs> of types of creatures. 
<laughs> they don't really seem to follow. Uh, I've always wondered, like, so were Slimer and Muncher just like gluttonous dudes who who yeah. became that, or were they? Because you see that. I mean, taxi you don't have ghost. to. Sh- you don't have to shame him for personal choices. I mean, maybe I'm that's just what he looks like. I'm just wondering why some ghosts look like blobby monsters and some ghosts look like decayed corpses. Yeah. And then when Egon and finally shows up at the end, like he Harold just looks himself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Some ghosts look like Harold. So there's three kinds of ghosts in the Ghostbusters universe. <laughs> Wouldn't it be Harold really Ramus funny, ghosts? though, if when Egon showed up at the end, he looked like a Slimer. He's like, guys, it's me, Egon. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still me stuffing God. hot dogs in his mouth and everything. I mean, but that was everybody does that shit. Every all mm. ghosts do this. Um, they... Uh, they try to trap uh, Muncher, but he gets away. Uh, mm-hmm. Trevor, with a little bit of help from the ghost, uh, gets the, the Ecto-1 working, drives around to a Buzzcock song because this is what kids are into now. It's like in that first Star Trek movie when Captain Kirk is driving around to sabotage, even though that movie that song mm-hmm, would be 200 yeah. years old by the time of that scene. <laughs> It's like still, still like, like that cue. I gotta say, I don't know. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a little bit like if if we were riding around listening to. I mean, not even Gilbert fucking and Sullivan. Green that would be sleeves. new music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's green, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just fucking turn it up. We're, we're driving around listening to the world turned upside down. Just like can't get enough of it. Um, they on the date. Uh, Paul Rudd's like, oh, there's all this fracking that causes earthquakes, and Carrie Coons is like, I hate science because my dad was a scientist and he never paid attention to me. And you could tell Again, that Paul Rudd. Uh, is such, Again, says, frankly, said, I'm I'm with it. I'm with <laughs> it at this point. And, uh, yeah. and Paul Rudd is nerds, says Stuart. <laughs> and Paul Rudd's a real fan of Phoebe's, which which uh, makes her which makes her mom like him. You know mm-hmm. that he he's had made a real connection with uh, her daughter. Uh, and Trevor starts driving Phoebe and Podcaster to catch Muncher. They chase him through the strangely deserted town, <laughs> just blowing stuff up with with the proton blaster. Yeah, and they they are destroying this town faster than a fucking Walmart. <laughs> yes, and they know what all the buttons in the car do almost instantly. They're like, "We got to send the trap." Well, it's on wheels. We can do it with the remote control. And Podcaster just goes to the to the floor of the car and starts moving dials to make a ramp, a trap door open, and a ramp go down. And it's like, well, "How long have you been?" In this car for maybe four minutes. Like, how do you know what all I these mean, kids do? are pretty good with that shit. That's true. I guess they love pushing <laughs> buttons and things. Uh, I, the thing about this trap that's on like little go kart, it's not even go kart wheels, it's a little remote no, control it's, car. Yeah, it's an is, um, car. Is it keeps pace with a car that is going full <laughs> yeah, speed? Yeah, that is a fast. Yeah. It's really very fast. This this is crap. Toy Story level uh, speed on this on this remote control car. Yeah. Um, but uh, they don't catch the ghost, but they do get caught. Them. Oh no, they do catch the ghost. They trap him, and then they uh-huh. get trapped by Sheriff Bokeem Woodbine. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. really yeah. wasted in this role. A great really actor Star shows up Man. for one sequence in the movie, disappears yeah. again. Very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh and, man, I love Bokeem Woodbine. He's great. He's really great. And uh, the I remember seeing him in what was the second season of Fargo and being yeah. like, "Yeah, why doesn't this guy have his own show? Like he's amazing." Um, but uh, it turns out uh, Lucky is the sheriff's daughter, and so uh, they meet up briefly again. Now she knows Trevor's a bad boy because he's in jail with his sister and his sister's friend, the nerd. Uh, and they go, they lock up all the, uh, they they're gonna lock up all their equipment. But first, Phoebe uses her one phone call to call not her mom, but the the ad from the <laughs> Ghostbusters commercial, so that she can get to Ray Stans's occult book store, and she Which gets I- the real. Dan Aykroyd I, on the phone. I do, yeah. And he's like, Crystal Ed <laughs> Vodka. Dan Aykroyd's wax dummy. <laughs> the, I do love that, so when she's dialing, they're playing the commercial from the from the original Ghostbusters movie. Yes. And even as a kid, I knew that this was like a joke. 
Like the commercial was a joke that it was like the way it was done. Like it was meant to be a parody of that kind of like cheapo. Of local like, ads. Like local, yeah. yeah, local exterminator ads. But it's done here with this sense of reverence where it's like, oh my God, I'm seeing Jerusalem for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's one of the problems, one of the big problems with the tone of the movie is that the first Ghostbusters movie, certainly. Ghostbusters 2, it has its big flaws, but I love some of the things in it. Ghostbusters 1, like the movie, the tone of the movie is constantly taking the piss out of the idea that these are guys having an adventure with ghosts. Like it is, and it's that New York attitude uh, of like, are you, come on, are you kidding me? Like, really? Come on. Come on, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. And it's it works so well, whereas in this it is, yeah, it's the everything has been burnished to a golden worshiping hue. And it's a lot of like, oh, the Ghostbusters? Why? Noble, the noble champions of old? Why? Men were men back then and women were women. Like no deeds were deeds and adventures <laughs> I, were to be had. As soon as she got Dan Aykroyd on the phone, the whole time I'm like, is he going to tell these kids about the time a ghost sucked his dick? Well, can we talk about... <laughs> I hope not. Can we talk about the... I do not... Like, the conversation she has with him on the phone is the sort of conversation that people only have in movies that I hate. I hate to break it to you, Dan. It is a movie. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but okay, it is bad movie writing, and I hate it, where the... You know, if you're calling from a jail... To this Ghostbuster who might have known your your dead grandfather who understands what's going on in town, the amount like you would not take the circuitous route that she takes to all of the like key information. Yeah. It is definitely one of these like just like, hold on, I'm in jail, and like without saying who she is, and then being like, You're a Ghostbuster, right? And then like listening to him talk about Ghostbusters and then listening to him talk about like why they had a falling out with Egon and all this stuff without ever interjecting and like giving her side of the, like any important information. Like Like, the the biggest thing, the thing that he would ask is who is this? Yeah. And that he never asks that. And I almost believe it because I believe that Ray stands the kind of guy who like, once you get him started talking about ghosts over the phone, he's just gonna, (laughs) that's that's all he thinks about. (laughs) But you're right. It is, it is the weird thing of like, it's, it reminds me of one of the, the version of that that always bothers me is the beginning of the movie 28 Days Later where he wakes up and he's gotten out of a coma and he doesn't know what's going on. And he goes, what happened? What happened to the world? And this woman goes, it didn't happen the way they thought it would. It didn't happen all at once out in the cities. It happened da-da-da slowly. And it's like, just tell him, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And if that happened in real life, it'd be like, there's zombies everywhere. Let me give you, let me, <laughs> let me do this like a news article with the most important information up top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I'll get yeah. into the details down at the bottom. We can circle you know? back to the poetry later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, the other thing about this thing is where we learned that like the reason that Egon abandoned because it has to be, it has to be a noble reason. And because, his family, yeah. Because at this point, like we're like deep in the nostalgia. We are beyond the like movie that opens with Peter Venkman shocking a man so he can <laughs> fuck his student. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like they, they, they get around to it, and what we're it not is, even, is we're not even we're not even in the movie in the second one where the two remaining Ghostbusters are going to children's birthday parties and being booed because nobody likes them anymore. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. we're now at the part. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm talking to a holy figure. But Ray explains that Egon got all obsessed about like, Oh, you know, there was going to be this apocalyptic event 
And then one day he just disappeared, like taking with all their stuff, all of the Ghostbusters equipment with him and whatever. And they had, he, you know, he's like, oh, Egon can burn in hell for all I care before he, he does mention also that that Winston has become a global billionaire, which is yeah, a yeah. very funny term well, for that yeah, character. We'll get back to that, uh, but <laughs> but it's like it's this thing where like clearly the movie is setting it up spoiler alert that like, yeah, Egon was right. There was this apocalyptic event. He went down here to like keep an eye on it. And then to keep it under control, Yeah, his granddaughter finishes the job for him. But there's nothing at any point in the movie that makes it clear. Like why Egon thought, Oh, I have to cut everyone out of my life yeah. to do this well, thing, especially he, my partners who also fight ghosts. Well, it's not only that, my partners who already helped me stop Gozer. Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. he knows that it's, Gozer is coming back. Why wouldn't he go with his team that already did that once? It's, like, it it's doesn't make wild. sense. It's <laughs> wild. It is a wild thing. And it's this weird way of making like erratic behavior turn into this like erratic arguably selfish behavior seem like a selfish act it's like well, that it's, like, it's a yeah. it's something it's a way that and this has been going on for a long time in movies especially but in tv too that kind of the the world we live in where it's the kind of like QAnon, do your own research if people tell you you're wrong it's because you're right and you should cut your family out and and follow the follow the clues the breadcrumbs movies yeah. teach us that that's the right thing there's never been a movie that i can think of where someone is no, no, you're all, you say I'm crazy, but you're the wrong ones. That in movies, that character is always right because narratively, we we want to have a movie, like narratively, it's more satisfying than a movie where a guy has a conspiracy and it turns out he's wrong and, yeah. and he's been wasting all of our time. Like, yeah. it's, so, but you're right. It's one of those. Like, even like, movies that point, sort of interrogate that, like under the Silver Lake, the conspiracy is still right. It's just like the guy's a dick. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, oh man, that's a good it, movie. But it is a movie where it, it, I mean, but it is a movie where, yeah, uh, Egon has essentially become like a QAnon guy, but he turned. Except the Q is the Ghostbusters cross symbol. But like, yeah. <laughs> he turns out to be right, and he was right to do all that stuff. It to cut out his family and to not and to run off and take everybody's livelihood. And it's yeah, it's a very it's it's one of these things that like thematically is very not healthy, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't really help. But that it's he comes the only back way that they can ex- the end and apologize. Yeah, it's the only way they can explain him not being around. Kind of. Yeah. Yes, and why? And they couldn't do a story where that doesn't happen because why else <laughs> would they go out to cornfields in the middle <laughs> exactly. of nowhere? You know, uh, the there has to be a mystery that has to be solved and a fall. Because it's just like the you know country bears with the Muppets. Like, well, we've got it. <laughs> the kids have to reunite the band. They had a falling out. You know. Yeah. Anyway, it's just so. It's so. I'm tired of it. Arguably, Let's get some new stories, everybody. I would say, arguably, if this movie had the main focus of the movie had been these kids trying to get the aging Ghostbusters actors to work together, <laughs> I would have kind of liked that more. With the country <laughs> well, bears. <laughs> yeah, as we all know, there's four there's four basic universal stories. There's man versus nature, man versus man, man versus self, and kids have to get a band back together. Like those are, those are <laughs> the four universal stories. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Murray versus the Ghostbusters franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the thing uh, is, everybody's booing Bill Murray, but he's right. Well, uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> well, we'll get. Yeah, I mean, he. He. I mean, except that he. We'll see. We, he. It's not like he stuck to his guns or anything. The, uh, so. Uh, the equipment is impounded. Uh, Phoebe pulls a proton gun on the sheriff, and the mom is able to like just say, "Hey, stop! Okay, I'll take them home." Which is nuts that she she pulled a gun on the sheriff and just gets to yeah. go home. And you know what? Does the mom ground them and then keep an eye on them? No. The next day, they're just out doing whatever. Uh, that night, Paul Rudd goes to uh, the local Walmart, Walmart, and uh, 
witnesses an army of tiny marshmallow men come to life and just gleefully Again, kill each for other. For no reason other than the fact that it happened in the first movie, a thing that Ray thinks about at one point, yes. and now it's part of the movie forever. A, this is a sequence that I both dislike, but also like a lot. I think I, if it, it's again, if it was not, if I didn't feel like they were kind of just playing on a thing that existed, I a know. lot of the ways they come up with for the marshmallow men to interact with objects are really fun. Like it's really, it's you know, and picks are inventive that way. Paul you know? Rudd looks funny, like wigging out, seeing it happening. I I love later on. Like, like in the in the very next scene, he sees like the devil dog. He like has this ice cream in his hand. He for a moment he tries to say like good doggy, thinking like maybe that will work. And right in the middle of it, he's cut off by the dog growling, and he just whips the ice cream at the dog. And I genuinely laughed out loud because I thought it was played really well. But yeah. I was also angry at the fact that they had to have a devil dog back in the yeah. thing. And marshmallow yeah. where it's like. When when they were making the first Ghostbusters, it's not that they were like, "Well, we need a marshmallow man because back because the Ghost Breakers had a marshmallow man." Yeah. Like, come up with some new things. Like, ideas can you can come up with new ideas, Hollywood. Like, but I did like that. Uh, one thing I didn't expect to pay off was earlier on they're testing the proton traps or whatever, and it blows out the windshield of Paul Rudd's car. And when he's running from the Devil Dog, he tries to escape by jumping through the wind the o- <laughs> open windshield of his yeah, car. And I was like, okay, good, that was a good payoff good for that. I yeah. forgot that that happened. Like, uh. So he gets chased by the demon dog. We know what happens to him because it's the same thing that happens to Rick Moranis at Tavern on the Green in the first movie. Is is uh-huh. he, yeah. He's going to get captured. Um, the kids are planning together in town. I don't know why they're not grounded since they blew up a big portion of the town the day before. Uh, they all go explore with their flashlights at uh, the Shandor Mine. Lucky, who's like a local historian, I guess, is talking about how Evo Shandor built the, built the whole town. Uh, and there they find a huge sculpture of people worshiping Gozer. And that's when Lucky learns Trevor is 15. And they find in a glass coffin the embalmed body of Evo <laughs> Shandor. And, and they, go, they find a timeline of years listed, and it's like 1984, 2021. And it made me mm-hmm. so mad because it's like, guys, you're just like, have the thing where, happen. Where's the year that I was born? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, but also like the, what we learn is that Egon set up automatic blasters all around this pit that Gozer's trying to come out of to keep Gozer tamped down. And it's like, well, if Gozer's always trying to come out of the pit, what do the years mean? Like, what's the point? And th- yeah, there's no, a- it's it's pointless. And uh, <laughs> Phoebe goes, it's a countdown. It's like, it's not a countdown. The numbers are going up. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a timeline. Like, it's, anyway. And, and then podcast goes, you mean like a prophecy? And it's like, it's, it feels like he is correcting the script at that moment. And they, yeah. <laughs> they just left it in, you know? <laughs> but uh, there's this burbling sea of lava souls and it starts bubbling up in these automatic proton pits. So it's causing the earthquakes. And yeah, that's yeah. causing the earthquakes, yeah. It's not fracking. Uh, Mom, Fracking's Carrie still Coons, cool, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just Coons ask RuPaul. May- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carrie Coons, maybe while looking for her kids who have, or Carrie Coon, I keep calling her Carrie Coons. Carrie Coon, who uh, possibly while looking for her children who should be grounded again, they blew up half the town. She goes down that fire pole into the basement and she sees a wall of photos and articles about her. It's okay that her dad abandoned her because he paid attention to her from afar. <laughs> yeah, he follows her on social media. Yeah, it's okay. yeah, yeah, he did yeah. the least he could do, which was have some interest in her. <laughs> <laughs> Just tape pictures of her to the wall. Uh, then a demon dog jumps out at her and the kids which come home. Which at this point, I'm like, I'm like, movie, are you going to make Carrie Coon 
into like a sexed up ghost demon dog lady because that's going to make me act up here, guys. Not not only are they going to do that, she's going to repeat lines of dialogue from the first movie and she's going to wear the same dress that Sigourney Weaver wore in the first movie oh, no. when, she, when she turned into Zool. It was like, uh, it's just so frustrating. At this point, the movie is now headlong rushing yeah, through I mean, scenes I, from the first Ghostbusters. I would say that there's... There is stuff I like in the first couple acts, and then the third act just becomes disastrously yes. yeah. like beholden to previous Ghostbusters lore. But yeah. Anyway. anyway, they 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 realize that um that the uh that this farm it's not really a farm it's a huge proton defense trap or whatever that's supposed to trap Gozer. There's an earthquake. Oh no! And uh, uh. It's there's just a lot of dumb stuff where they're like putting together clues that don't make any sense. Yeah, uh, they suit up in Egon's jumpsuits, which are a little big on them, but not as big as they should be, considering yeah. he was a tall, thin man, and they are like children. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, and they're like, we got to lure Gozer back to this trap. Meanwhile, yeah, just like in the first movie. Mom and Paul Rudd are gonna make out because that's how you open that because that's how the key master and the gatekeeper. More than make out, I think they do. Yeah, at least in my head, the gatekeeper. I'm just saying. I'm just saying what we. I will say in the first movie. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) Elliot's Elliot's arguing. There's we don't see penetration. Yeah, yeah. We can only you know what's on screen is what's text, so we can't really assume. This movie is so. In the first Ghostbusters, they make it so much clearer that like there is going to be a sex act between Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver. And when Gozer shows up, there's something also kind of sexual about her. And here it feels like they tamped that down quite a bit. Like there's just not that same adult energy. Yeah. Well, you know. and obviously like, obviously I love the sequence where Peter Venkman shows up at Dana's apartment expecting to take her on a date, but she's possessed by Zool. And it takes him like at least half that scene before he had comes to terms with himself that they're not on a date. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and I kind of wish they played like, I feel like a lot of things in this movie, like I kind of wish they played the sequence where the kids come home and find their mother possessed. I wish they'd played it for laughs a little bit more. And like, this movie plays very little for laughs. I mean, it's funny I mean, when, they, when all of a sudden things start going wild and she just jumps out the window awkwardly. Like yeah. that's funny. Yeah. I think it's, they're playing it for not the kind of laughs. It's well, they're not playing it for like, comedy laughs they're playing it for wisecracks in an action or adventure movie laughs which are like not the same like there's a moment in one of my favorite moments in the first ghostbusters and when he and they play this piano key thing in the opening credits is when bill murray walks into dana's apartment the first time and he goes on the piano and he goes they hate that it's just such a funny like dumb throwaway thing and there's nothing at that level there's nothing that feels like a moment that someone came up with a thing on the spot and said maybe maybe there's ad-libbing it i don't know but there's you know when Bill Murray shows up, I think that some of that is ad-libbing, but it feels so wrong for the movie that has been established well, by that point. And it feels like such Bill Murray autopilot, too. Yeah. It, it feels like he's he's just kind of doing Bill Murray the same way everyone else is just Paul Rudd's doing Paul Rudd, you know. Exactly. Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, uh, they got to get their stuff Tracy the Lutz, station. just doing Tracy Lutz, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tracy Lutz is just, he's just sitting there writing Killer just Joe and Bug. August Osage <laughs> County in, in it up. Yeah, he's totally. Yeah, that's all. He's he's just he's just a publisher in Little Womening it up, and <laughs> just dad in Lady Birding it up. Uh, Classic move. <laughs> yeah, they uh, the kids they got to get their equipment out from the police station. They let Muncher loose. He eats the cage that the equipment is in. They used Muncher. Great. Set I do pay off. I do done. love the bit that Muncher eats a metal. He doesn't need to eat the metal to escape because he then just 
goes right through the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he just likes eating the metal. He's a, he, he loves metal. He's like me, you know, like, you let me loose, I'm going to chop some fucking like, metal. like, metal, yum, 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 yeah. yum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's me. And, real <laughs> Stuart Elliot. <laughs> they go to the mountain. Uh, the adults turn into demon dogs, just like in the first movie, and uh-huh. Gozer shows up, and Evo Sandor revives, and it's J.K. Simmons in a, in a cameo. In and a he goes, wasted role. <laughs> well, I, that's the thing that I thought was fun. I did think it was funny to ha- get a star that big for a role where he says to, yeah, to yeah. Gozer, he says, now we can rule the world. And Gozer just tears his body in half and that's yeah. the end of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he looks at his costume and he's like, I got to wear that crazy mustache. You better kill me fast, baby. <laughs> <laughs> get me out of there right away. Um, and all these ghosts shows up all over. And this part feels... This is the part that feels very rushed, where the movie is almost yeah. like, you saw the first movie, you know what's happening. Come on, okay, demon dogs, ghosts everywhere, da-da-da-da. They and don't play that song like mag- it's Magic Magic Dreams when all the mm-hmm. spirits no, are they flying don't play out. That. That's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, Gozer shows up looking the same as in the first movie, but a little bit like like the costume is made out of sculpted plastic instead of out of like lace, you know, or, yeah. or bubbles. Or, or Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> Vaseline, yeah. And it feel it was one of those things where it's like, Gozer's look in Ghostbusters is so 80s. This kind of like semi-androgynous kind of like sexy she tough looks like woman. like a Nagel you know? painting. Yeah, like a, yeah, exactly, looks, like a Nagel or, painting. Or there's like something very Annie Lennox about her. Like she looks like a 80s supermodel. So to see her showing up in this movie in Oklahoma feels so strange. And it's like, come up with a new Gozer. Like just do it, you know? In the first movie, it was she was a lady and then she was a big marshmallow man. Like she could be anything. Use your imagination. Um, no, uh, no. <laughs> no, okay, sorry. You're Not right, allowed. no. Not allowed. Imagination. No imaginations allowed. Uh, Phoebe distracts Gozer with jokes. The running gag throughout the whole movie is that Phoebe is always trying to tell jokes. Again, like I said, for I, a kid, she does a I great job telling them. I didn't mind this choice to have her. Yeah. Uh, like that she fun. showed up and she got to do the thing that she. Yeah, it's a little fine. Guardians of the Galaxy moment. Yeah, know, it's dance fine. off. It's whatever. very. The only thing I don't like about it is it immediately undercuts the threat of the bad guy, which mm-hmm. if it's a movie where- But that's like, Ghostbusters, ghost- dude. Well, but that's the thing. But it, that's a Ghostbusters thing to do. But up till now, this movie has not been very Ghostbusters. <laughs> that's true. In, to- in tone, it's like, it's been the same plot beats, but with a different tone. And so it's like, yeah. I'm like, well, she just tore J.K. Simmons in half. <laughs> and then, so, so why is she just sitting there listening to these joke book jokes? And I don't know if you've, got, you've seen that dude's fucking workout picks, She's but that guy is fucking jacked. Yeah, is. that's pure. When you're t- tearing jk simmons that's real muscle you're tearing like that's yeah. hard to tear uh and they that shit will give you whiplash then <laughs> get what i said because he's in the movie yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. he's in that movie whiplash yeah you'll the be movie. the ricardos after after <laughs> that one uh, 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 <laughs> oh, the ricardos are you anyway <laughs> in in russia ricardos are you uh, uh so they they put a trap under Zool and they capture it and that saves mom and it takes away half of Gozer's power or something. They're kind of yeah. making up rules about Disrupts Gozer at this Gozer. point. Yeah, and the key master <laughs> chases them and, uh, and their mom is like, I'm really impressed. And it's from this point in the movie that the mom is just kind of like, you kids are saving the world. I'm on board. Sure, ghosts. Okay. Like she doesn't, yeah. it, she just kind of rolls with She's it. She's old enough to remember that ghosts exist, Elliot. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. Uh, and they go back to the farm. Gozer's kind of like only half powerful. There's lots of tiny marshmallow men to this keep podcast busy. thing where like, so Egan has rigged this farm to be a big trap. And I do have to say, this is a moment at which I'm like, this is a big budget, would be blockbuster movie. I don't think everything has to be big. I think that the idea that everything has to be big 
is kind of a problem in blockbusters. However, it is a little weird that the first Ghostbusters ends with a giant marshmallow man, like, walking down the middle of New York. The second one ends in, like, the Metropolitan Museum and the, and you know, Statue of Liberty comes down. And this one, the climax is like, oh, we're on a farm. Like, here we are on the farm. <laughs> And Gozer's it's a showing different. up to the farm. True. I mean, the thing I will well, say you would, is, you would hope that there would be like a giant, I don't know, like a like a windmill. <laughs> yeah, like you know, and then yeah, they could like throw windmill. in some. They could throw in some of them uh, <laughs> fucking Don Quixote jokes. That throw kids Gozer like. at that windmill, and <laughs> yeah. Gozer goes flying. <laughs> yeah, kids love Cervantes jokes. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so, but the thing is, this movie's budget was not that big. According to Wikipedia, yeah. it was a seventy-five million dollar budget, which for a movie like this is, I mean, that's that's what a quarter what you would spend on a on a Marvel movie, a, a, mm. a fifth of what you would spend, you know, yeah, yeah. at least. So, but at the same time, it is, that's, it is a that's only like, that's only like five cool as ices right there. <laughs> 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 uh, so, uh, then Lucky becomes the new gatekeeper. Gozer's back in full power, but uh Oh, who's going to show up and save in the day. It's, that's right, the original Ghostbusters. And I got to be honest, I could not have been more dispirited by seeing Wait, these yeah. three when you old men the show up in their old clothes. <laughs> Elliot, I could not agree with you more. I found myself saying something to myself that I would never think I could hear the words coming out of my mouth, but I was thinking the problem with this Ghostbusters movie at this point is that Bill Murray is in it. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. It's, go it away. Feels- it feels when you like say one of those the original like, Ghostbusters, do you mean that orangutan shows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't mean, do you the, mean the, oh, the Ghostbusters. Real Ghostbusters? I, no, I mean the real Ghostbusters. I don't okay, mean those Ghostbusters. You. Yeah, the uh, not, yeah, not the orangutan now, with the two say, guys who rode around in a jalopy. Yeah, it would have been fucking crazy if they if <laughs> instead <orangutan>. of in, <laughs> yes, <laughs> instead of <laughs> well, yeah, they had they had two crazier options, which would have arguably been better. One is, of course, yes. <laughs> That a orangutan and some guys in a jalopy <laughs> yeah. showed up. The other yeah. one is if the like the smoke clears and it's the animated versions of their characters <laughs> yeah. from the animated show, like that fucking would, like, Roger with Arsenio yeah. Hall doing the voice of Winston, Lorenzo Music back from the dead doing Bill Murray's voice. Yeah, yeah they sure. can clearly do it, and they clearly do not care about disparaging people's fucking. I don't know. I, I don't even want so to talk about that. So it, it reminded me of the moment in it. Remi- I mean, it was like it. It was. It had all the negativity of. Okay, you were going to do this with a new generation, and now they are. The old people are stealing it back. Combined with all the stuff of that moment in uh, The Force Awakens when Han Solo shows up and he's wearing the same vest. And it's yeah. like, you're an old man. Don't wear the same clothes you wore when you were in your 20s. Like, like come on. Like, get new my, clothes. Guys, my brain is big enough. I can understand that he might change clothes. Yeah, I, <laughs> He <laughs> yeah. changes clothes in the original series. He wears different in, he, stuff sometimes. He, he wears that vest. He, he, the outfit he wears in the first Star Wars, he doesn't wear it again in the other movies. But I guess he does in Return of the Jedi a little bit. Ghostbusters Afterlife, I feel like up until this point, you can kind of enjoy it. You can hate it. Either way, you have to admit, as soon as the original Ghostbusters show up, the movie grinds to a halt. Yes. And <laughs> it's like go- momentum that's the, built yeah. up. And it's like Gozer is this huge threat. She's going to destroy the universe. It's terrible. Wait. She's going to stand there and watch the Ghostbusters banter for a little bit. Do a little <laughs> and stick. She, but that's, I mean, little that's stick. also says, part of the says, bit, yeah. She says, are you a god? This time Ray gets to say yes. And it's like, Gozer, you met these guys before. Like, you know them. <laughs> it, I wish I wish it was like, I wish she said, are you a god? And then she goes, wait, are you the Ghostbusters? Wow, you've aged. 
wow, you're old. How long was I in that pit for? You look old. You're very old now. Yeah. Ugh, so she blasts him. I mean, it looks like everything's over. Phoebe starts blasting with a, a gun. And at this point, I turn to Charlene. And I'm like, fucking ghost Egon's going to show up. And you know what? He fucking you know it. does. <laughs> he does. Ghost and Egon it, shows up. Like, it fucking sucks. It, like, reminds yeah. me <laughs> how terrible the fucking entertainment complex is and how... You are nothing but content. Here's, it fucking well, that, blows. That, that, Here's that, what like, else. Harold, Harold, Ramis, Harold Ramis gave us so many great things. Like I, I kept thinking while I was watching his his CGI ghost, which I must say is one of the best CGI recreations sure. of a person that I've ever seen. It yes. looks great. I think because it's lit dimly and it, you know, but I was watching it. And, and like, it's like ghostified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's ghostified. But I was like, he gave us Groundhog Day. Like, can we just let him sleep in peace? Like, <laughs> do we have to dig him up for this movie? You know? Here's the best thing I can I can say about Ghost Egon. He doesn't talk. <laughs> That's true. All he does no, is you're show right. up and and smile beatifically at everybody. <laughs> but that's but that's the funny thing is because then he has to like have a he has to have a touching moment with his daughter and grandkids and he just kind of nods and winks at them and and I appreciate that they didn't go <laughs> to the trouble of like that they didn't like. like t- I'm glad they didn't take his old dialogue and like re-edit it so that he would say something, but like it's yeah. still very weird. It's, Instead, it's like, he's like, "Oh, this is some extra footage that was shot on the set of Knocked Up by everyone." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they uh, anyway, Egon shows up and helps. They're all zapping Gozer, and then uh, and then Gozer. They disintegrate Gozer. That's now Gozer's the, defeated. Now there there was also a moment where I'm like, okay, well these traps are are sucking Gozer and all the other ghosts away. Maybe they'll suck Egon away too, and there'll be this like noble sacrifice element. No, no, no. We need <laughs> no, to no, look no. at this fucking ghost some more. He just hangs out. <laughs> yeah, he just hangs out and has a moment with every single character where they say something to him and he nods and, <laughs> and, like, like, and he hugs them. And there, you know, there might be some folks who watching the movie are like, look, I needed this closure <laughs> with Harold Ramis in my life, and I'm sorry if we're making fun of it, but it really fucking sucks to me. Yeah, I would, you know, I would look, I, I would love. If Ghost Harold Ramis showed up, uh-huh. gave me a hug and a wink. But as someone watching a movie, I yeah. was like, "This seems disrespectful." Yeah, and and it and, sucks. and it it feels it feels. Um, I'm sure they meant it with, and and then they and then they dedicate the movie to him at the end. So I'm sure, sure they meant that the filmmakers. I'm sure meant. I mean, the movie is produced by Ivan Reitman. Like he spent a lot of the end of his life trying yes. to get Ghostbusters back up off the ground. I'm sure they meant it. Partly to make money off it because it's IP, but also partly out of real heart. But it does come off as it does come off as extremely like tasteless yeah. to me from the moment the old Ghostbusters show up. It feels like you are, and I know Dan Aykroyd's whole dream is to bring Ghostbusters back. But even seeing him in a Ghostbusters costume, it feels like all right, you uh, you have a gun pointed at the head of a Crystal Head vodka bottle, and uh, yep. you're, gonna, you're threatening him to put this old jumpsuit back on. You know, yeah. So. It ends with so Egon uh, dissolves away back to heaven, and uh, it ends with the Ecto One driving back to New York. Is it? It looked like yep. New York. Yeah, right? it's New York. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and we get, get the Ray Parker Junior song, and then the yeah. Ghostbusters theme song, which they've held back on this whole time. Uh, then we get some credit sequences. Okay, at the end of the uh, at the end of the first part of the credits it says and Sigourney Weaver, and you're like Sigourney Weaver wasn't in this movie. Cut to mid credit scene. Sigourney Weaver is giving Bill Murray that psychic test from the first movie. It just shocks him a couple times. Like, it's just banter. There's no reason w- for it yeah. to be I will there. say, once again, it highlights Sigourney Weaver looks incredible. <laughs> well, and it oh, yeah. highlights that they, the two of them still and have. they still have a lot of charisma. They're both charisma. Great. Like, both I, great. I, you know, I know from, look, I'm getting this, you know, third hand from the blank check 
podcast about Ghostbusters Afterlife. But uh, you know they have researchers. They 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 they're said, smarter than we are. They're smarter than we are. They, yeah, they, we should get that. They said that um, we should be smarter. I remember them saying that like one of the big things that Bill Murray like was like, finally, yes, I'll do this. Is like, yeah, but if I get to work with Sigourney Owen like, oh, again, yeah, and like they sense. seem to have like oh. a genuine friendship it and has, enjoy each other. What I will can company. I complain about this scene real quick? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, and then I'll say what I was going to say. So in this first. sequence. It's, they're basically doing an inverse of the sequence that I mentioned before in the beginning of the first Ghostbusters where Peter Venkman is being a real shitbag by uh, a lovable shitbag by shocking one a male student so he could try and sleep with a female student. Shocks him and so hard that chewing gum flies out of his mouth. Yes, and it, it reminds me of in the Watchmen TV series where they're trying to like backtrack and point out all the things that Ozymandias did wrong. And I'm like... Yeah, I get it. Like, you don't have to. I don't know why you have to apologize for the original thing. Like, it sucks. Like, things can be bad. I don't know. I don't know. It's such fucking baby level morality. (laughs) I was, yeah, they kind of have to make it right by punishing him 40 years later for the thing that he did that we knew was bad in the first movie. That's the thing. So I will say this this scene has, it has all the kind of tossed off casualness of a scene that's shot for like a charity event. With yeah. their reprisings, and I think it kind of it works better because <laughs> it of that. for it, yeah, yeah. But that's the end of that scene. Go I mean, I do credits. like to see both of them. I just yeah. wish that it wasn't some kind of weird bullshit. Yeah. Then we get the more inexplicable end credits <laughs> mashup of scenes where it starts with a a scene. Just it starts unused footage. Unused like, footage of Janine and Egon from the first movie, where she's giving him like her lucky coin, and then it and then it cuts to her now with that lucky coin in her hand. And she's not talking about Egon though. She's meeting with Winston at the at his at his office building <laughs> because he's coin, a billionaire now. The yeah. it's the story of the coin. Uh, yeah, I, and no, it's just funny. It, it's like setting up Winston being like he has this speech which is unconnected with anything else in the in the movie. And look, I appreciate it just in the sense of like Winston obviously is kind of an underserved character, so it's nice that they're like re- they're gonna like. Uh, I don't know, add to continuity. Like, oh, by the way, Winston went on to be a billionaire. Like, that seems like they're feeling, they're like, feel guilty. Like, oh, Winston kind of got short shrift. Let's just say he's a billionaire. But then it seems like maybe they're setting him up to be like Charlie of a new Charlie's Angels Ghostbuster yeah. situation so they, where he's they like the money that man. Been, that he's been, he's been paying the rent on Ray's store, but also that he is. Earlier on, Ray was like, uh, some big business bought up all of lower Manhattan and they bought, and we had to sell the firehouse. And we, you reveal that. Uh, and Winston talks about like, you know what? I'm a, maybe a billionaire now, but I'll always be a Ghostbuster. And then you see that he has bought the old firehouse and they bring the Ecto-1 back to it. And he's like, yeah, the old place. And then you go down to the basement where the old ghost containment tank still has its light blinking on it. And they're like, guess what? There's still ghosts in this building. But it's, which it's, is yeah. it's crazy. giving you the warning light where you're yeah. like, so wait, they just were like, fuck it. We, we lost the lease. I guess we'll just yeah. leave these ghosts here. <laughs> Somebody else's problem, yeah. right? And, yeah. and it's, 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 it's also one of those things. Slap some putty over that crack and like leave the ghosts in the basement. The landlord will never know. The thing yeah, also, yeah, yeah. I thought get they our bought that firehouse back. in the first movie. Wasn't the yes. whole thing that that Ray like cashed in his his, his uh, mortgage? Yeah, yeah. His mortgage. Yeah. and so it's Maybe like the it. idea that like yeah, Lower Manhattan, they bought it all up. Like you own your building. You're, that's why Katz's Deli still exists because they own their building. That's why. But anyway, that's that's a little bit of if it was a New York set movie, they would have gotten that right because that's a New York thing. But uh, yeah. it was. But it but is so it is setup, weird, and it also like it's it feels a little bit like they're 
putting their foot in the door and they're like, in case you guys would be interested, we could bring the old guys back for another movie maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like this movie is really going out of its way to make no creative decisions. It is like Ghostbusters plus Stranger Things equals this. You know what? It's a new generation, but it could be the old characters. That's the thing. This is the kind of story we're telling now, but maybe we could tell the old story. I have no idea. I have to tell you right now, they're leaving the door open for a sequel. I have no idea what that sequel would look like. This movie is, other than that last scene being like, we could have a sequel if you want it. There's nothing that indicates what that sequel would be. So Trevor's Trevor's going to Pratt. It's the summer. Phoebe goes mm-hmm. to visit him. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. I mean, and but I, I will say that, like, uh, I kind of like that about it because if there's a sequel to it, I want it to be something where I don't know what it is because this yeah. movie, I knew every step of the way what was going to happen, and that was really annoying to me. You unless, know? Yeah. unless what it is is the boogeyman story arc from the real Ghostbusters cartoon, which was very scary to me as a kid, and I'd like to see again just so I could remember it. No, I want them to do the real Ghostbusters storyline, either one, the one where they're on a subway train and it and all the graffiti comes to life, which I guess the, the trains are cleaned now, so you can't do that, or the one where they're in the Museum of Natural History and spirits start to come and there's a dinosaur skeleton walking around and Winston has to to get in touch with his African ancestors <laughs> to undo it all. And there's a moment where he's going back in time, becoming his ancestors, and he's briefly a sharecropper. And it was like, this is heavy stuff for the Ghostbusters cartoon to be, yeah. to be dealing with. But it is weird because as soon as the old guys show up, it feels like all the characters that we've been following before are just forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Which like, is very strange. Not anymore. Yes. Uh, let's quickly do our uh, final judgments and then move on to other things. Uh, is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, a movie kind of like, here's the thing, like, I, I gotta, I gotta say, like, I kind of enjoyed a lot of this movie just because like, I, it does, it doesn't hit the Ghostbuster nostalgia buttons. Every Ghostbuster nostalgia button it tries to hit, it like trips over itself and falls down the stairs trying to push that button, but it's hitting buttons for other types of media that I have enjoyed. Yeah, like well, like kids on bikes, kids on bikes, Spielberg shit. and and I I like Carrie Coon, I like Paul Rudd, I like McKenna Grace. I for his one inexplicable scene, I like Bokeem Woodbine. I think they're all good. Like there's stuff in it that I like. I would say this is a perfectly fine movie to fall asleep to on TBS. I will say, as I said before, it is the least good movie with Ghostbusters in the title. Like if you want a good Ghostbusters movie, just watch the first one. If you want like passably like good fun ghostbusters movies watch ghostbusters 2 or the ghostbusters reboot but this one whatever you know like again fall asleep to it on tbs well the thing about the thing about the thing about that ghostbusters <laughs> is that ghostbusters seems to understand that it's a comedy <laughs> yes and while i i don't necessarily think all the jokes work there are some i i laughed more in that movie yes, than this one exactly I think the uh, the I agree with Dan that this is, I don't think it's quite good bad or bad bad and I didn't like it. This is a kind of a mediocre movie and it is a movie that what what really bothers me the most after I have complained about it for like an hour now at least what bothers me the most is the first Ghostbusters movie it feels like you are watching a movie that a crazy person had to make and pushed through for years. And you did because Dan Aykroyd is a guy who's obsessed with ghosts. His family has been in the ghost business for a hundred years and he had to make this comedy about ghosts and he made it. And you can feel his kind of antic obsessive energy throughout the whole movie. This feels like it is a movie that 
was not made through it like a like a real overarching creative need. It was made because there's there's money to be made off a Ghostbusters movie, and they kind of it didn't have that uh, it didn't have that creative vision or that imagination or that freshness or that you know snap to it or funniness or New York or anything like that. It's a it's but it's a fine movie. It's a fairly it's a it's a just you know mediocre movie. Yeah, it, there's it there's not much actual personality in it now. And if I if I didn't have affection for the original Ghostbusters movies, I would be like, whatever, you know, because it's fine. Anyways, I will say, that. to that end, uh, Audrey's, Audrey gave me permission to say this. Like, she has not really watched the original Ghostbusters movies. She has no association with Ghostbusters. So when she went and saw this with me and our friends, like, she's like, oh, that was fine. Like, and I do think, in a weird way, despite it being so painfully beholden to old Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. it plays better if you can just divorce it from Ghostbusters in your well, if, head. If, if you, well, if you haven't, <laughs> if you're not super familiar with the old Ghostbusters, you don't know how beholden it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. So speaking that, so the original Beholder, Stuart, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is tough because it's, like, there's parts of it that I like, and I like a lot of the performances, but there's, uh, it's fairly hollow, it's kind of it's pretty bland. Um, but it's, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's one of those weird movies that hovers between a movie I kind of liked and a bad, bad movie. And that it's, it like, there's just not that much there. And it clearly, whether or not it was meant to be a, like a loving tribute, it turns into a weird cash grab. That's trying to reboot a franchise that I didn't uh, going into it. I'm like, I don't care that much about Ghostbusters, right? Like, I don't care that much about the lore, but the movie's like, remember this, remember this, and it just sucks. So it says you must remember this. I'm not into it. Yeah, a ghost, a kiss is just a kiss unless it's on your penis from a ghost. Uh huh. Which, if they'd at least <laughs> mentioned that, it would have. Yeah, that would have tied everything together. <laughs> so let's move on to uh, sponsors. Uh, you know, the Flop House is sponsored in uh, largest part by listeners like you. But we do have um, some advertisers. Elliot, I believe you're up first. That's right. The Flophouse is in part sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's right. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know what? Relationships take a lot of work. Uh, We want to do what's best for the people that we care about. We want to help take care of them. But We have to take care of ourselves too. That's something that's really important and it's very easy to forget during times of troubles, times of disappointment or depression or just times when you're too busy and you feel like you don't have that time to spend on yourself. But you need to take that time to spend on yourself. One of my New Year's resolutions this year was to do exactly that, was to find that time to be good to myself and do the work I need to do on myself so that I don't fall apart, that I'm not so focused on... um, all the troubles of the world or all the troubles of the people around me that I don't keep myself up to the state I need to be in in order to take care of them and to take care of myself. And I will jump in here, Ellie, just to say that I think that sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you think like, oh, focusing too much on your own health uh, is selfish in some way. But the truth is like you have, you're surrounded by people who love you, who like, if you take care of yourself, like it is, uh, it eases Things for them that they are 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 dealing with a happier, healthier you. Well, I, the way I like to think about it is, why don't I hold the same standards for myself that I hold for other people? If someone else I know is getting the, getting help they need, 
It makes me glad. It makes yes. me happy. And so why shouldn't I do that for myself? Because it, know, it will make the people who love me happy. And therapy is a big part of that. It's very important to me. It's something that I recommend to everybody that I know, even strangers that I meet on the street. And BetterHelp could be the way that you find that therapy to take care of yourself and find that space. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. That can be really helpful sometimes. Uh, it can be more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And finding the right therapist for you can be difficult. You might need to try more than one person. So to get matched quickly so that you can try more than one person in a relatively short amount of time without having to look them up and go to their office and try them out and then find someone else. It's hugely helpful because nothing, when I was younger, dissuaded me from therapy more than the process of finding a therapist. That's the hardest part of getting into therapy. So give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast, this podcast, the Flophouse is sponsored by BetterHelp and Flophouse listeners get a 10% discount off their first month at betterhelp.com slash flop. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash flop therapy. Try it. It'll be helpful. Hey, uh, we're also sponsored in part by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for creators to keep up with the growing demands for modern video content. So you can bring all your stories to life and stop sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. With Storybox Unlimited All Access Plan, you can get unlimited downloads of the over 1 million plus assets in the library. Now we're talking assets like, you know, uh, video, audio, that sort of asset, not like real estate, you know, like an assassin that is, you know, planted in, uh, oh. you know, a, another country. That's mm -hmm. not that kind of asset. We got you got video assets. You can try out multiple options quickly. <laughs> like I don't want to make fun of something. That. So, you know, I thank think you for making that clear, Jim. Thank you very much for keeping making yeah. it clear. I thought this was <laughs> in the John Wick world, but it's in the real world. Yeah. You can try out multiple options quickly and find the perfect fit, so you can create more and spend less. Stay on budget while telling the best version of your story with the most affordable subscription plans and tools on the market that scale to meet your needs. And I like this, restock is their commitment to increase representation in stock media by, hi by hiring creators from marginalized communities to create content that is more reflective of the diverse world we live in. You don't want to just go there and download uh, stock footage of people that look like the Flophouse. You want to download stock footage of people... Of all types, uh, and well, I appreciate the people, people that hopefully look like you, the user too. That yeah, what yeah, I like. Yeah. About, so we we take stock footage for granted, but the very idea of stock footage implies that it's just kind of the standard, basic footage of of ordinary everyday world. And so you want yeah. footage that reflects your world and not just what's an assumed, you know, that is a good point. That it does not yeah. define the norm as uh, as like white dudes like us. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, I've used Storyblocks. It's a very uh, easy-to-use service. It's a very uh, intuitive service. It's got a lot of options. I found it very useful for the videos I've made. So if you want to explore their library and subscribe, you can do that today at storyblocks.com slash flop. That's storyblocks.com slash flop. And we also got a little Jumbotron. That's right. Here it comes. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys good? You guys buckled up? Okay. Yeah. Hello Welcome. from the Plus Platoon. We are a Disney Plus fan podcast that reviews the latest movies and shows. We go live on youtube.com slash plus platoon 
Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern with water cooler style discussion of the latest Marvel, Star Wars, and Disney content, as well as classics from the vault. And we let viewers join in the conversation live. You can also listen to episodes of The Plus Platoon anywhere on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. Check out Derek, Kate, Samantha, and Pete each week on the Plus Platoon. So check out the Plus Platoon, everybody. Check it out. Check it. I'm a psychic. My name is Psychic Carrie. I'm yes. Ross. Oh, what a pleasure to meet you. Of course, I knew your name was Ross, as I am a psychic. But please, take a yeah. seat. Well, I was hoping we, we hoping could, talk about, could talk about my, my podcast. podcast. Yes, I know. It's called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Yes. We investigate from uh-huh. science, spirituality, uh-huh. and claims of the paranormal. paranormal. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yes. This whole podcast, it sounds like it's been a real challenge for you lately. Actually, it's a lot of fun. Yes, exactly. Because it's so fun. I don't know how you do it. This will be $75. Okay, that seems fair. Oh no, Ross and Carrie. At MaximumFun.org. You knew it was a .org. I have a gift. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Hey, let's go on to letters. Why not? Let's treat ourselves. Yeah. This first letter let's is from... Yeah, you only this, after life once. This letter is from Craig, last name withheld. T. Nelson. Writes, Craig T. Nelson. I got to apologize, Craig. I feel like I've been a little extra spicy this week. I don't know if it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghostbusters. I don't know if it's... You're apologizing to Craig T. Nelson? I'm going to apologize to Craig T. Nelson. He seems <laughs> I sensitive. Mean, I don't know his full no, chart, but I guess he's, he's got a lot really, of water in there. You don't need to not worry particularly. about it. <laughs> um, hey, this is from Craig Last Name Withheld. He writes, Hello, Peaches. I was listening to Friend of the Pod, Matt Koff's comedy album. Insert plug here. Great comedy album. Check it out. It's available wherever you get those kind of things. And, What's the uh, title of that comedy album, Dan? Sam Goody. Uh, hold on. It's something about Little Friend. Uh, let me look it up. Matt? No, no. I'll look it up. Dan, you, I'll, you read the letter. I'll look comedy it up. Comedy album. Well, it seems like you could have done this part if you're asking me the question. Well, it's what I really called, wanted to do was have you admit who's on my that little didn't know guy. It's called Who's My <laughs> Little Guy? It's very, like, it's got a cute. Uh, cover of him talking to a tiny version of himself. Um, uh, anyway, I was listening to Friend of the Pod, Matt Koff's comedy album, Who's My Little Guy, and heard Dan's trademark laugh. This immediately transformed the rest of the album into a Flophouse universe property. I imagine that when Matt stepped up to the guest, uh, I imagine that Matt stepped up to guest on a live show when Elliot and Stewart couldn't be there, but, get, but Dan got too high and just laughed throughout. Um, has is, has Matt ever been on the show? Matt's been on the show. He was way, way back in the day, um, but this, not when I was. He was a replacement for me. I think that may be the, that makes the case. This is funny though because uh, I remember Elliot when I was out visiting you in L.A. Uh, Adam Lowett. Maybe uh, 
I think it was when I was visiting LA. Anyway, Adam Lowe, our mutual friend, uh, former mm-hmm. uh, producer at The Daily Show, um, he was like, oh, yeah, Dan, your laugh is all over that thing. Like, I was listening to <laughs> Matt Coff's album. I'm like, well, there's McCoy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's really funny. But uh, uh, Craig asks, what familiar sight or sound encounter in a movie flooded your mind with thoughts of another film? Craig, last name withheld. And I'm going to... I don't have a film, but I do have like I I I saw this in a movie, and I'm like, well, I know these places. It was funny. Um, there was a a weekend where I had gone to um, some sort of like upscale Russian baths type place in Manhattan. I know where this is going. I'm not really sure. I can't remember <laughs> the name, but like I've been there. You never thought I, it could happen to you. <laughs> and then I. I went to the um, the Writers Guild Award that same uh, that same weekend. I went to the Writers Guild Awards. Uh, I forget which venue it was. Maybe you can help me probably, out, Elliot. But my probably point the was, Edison Ballroom. It's it's usually at the yes, Edison Ballroom. I think it was the, the Edison, Edison Hotel. Ballroom. Ballroom. So I I went to these baths. I went to the Edison Ballroom, and then very shortly thereafter, I saw John Wick where a Shootout starts in the baths and then goes upstairs, which in the world of John Wick is the Edison Ballroom. And I was like, <laughs> I was just at both of those places. They're not connected at all. Hey, John Wick is following me. Yeah. Add lying. <laughs> I, I had I had a I have a similar thing. It's not reminding me of another movie. Sorry, uh, Craig T. Nelson. But uh, <laughs> uh there's two movies that uh uh, that one that I love and one that is terrible, that both when I saw them, I was like, I know those places. Similarly, one is the movie The Landlord, uh, the Hal Ashby movie with Bo Bridges, which is a fantastic movie and was shot in Park Slope, Brooklyn in the late 60s. And until recently, there were a bunch of locations in it that you just see very briefly that were things I saw you know, every day walking around the neighborhood. And it was just very exciting to see those places and be like, oh, that's what that was. The other one similarly is a bad movie called Robot in the Family starring Joe Pantoliano and John Riz Davies. <laughs> and this terrible movie, I was watching it uh, years ago with friend, a friend of the podcast, Eric Marzizak, who was on talking about the years, not too long ago, talking about the years when we used to sit and watch bad movies. And so much of that movie takes place in the stretch of antique stores in Manhattan between broad, between 14th Street, on Broadway, between 14th Street and like 8th Street. And it's this stretch that I walked pretty much every day when I was a student at NYU. And so I just have this fondness for this movie because I'm like, oh, this movie's terrible. But like, I know all those stores. Like I've walked by them so many times. So it was like any, I wonder if, if that robot still lives in that area. Maybe any day I could have walked by that robot, <laughs> robot in that got movie. Yeah. Out. yeah. Yeah. So just you see it. It's fun to see a movie that's shot in a place that's not. I mean, you see a movie that's shot like in a famous location and you're like, yeah. I know that location. But when it's shot in a neighborhood that you know well from your own life, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. Like uh, what In the Company of Men and that that guy's other movies that were all shot in my hometown, Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> Neil Labute. Yeah. Neil Labute. Um, you know, I I was going to say, I feel like I have this more often with uh, music where I'll be listening to like songs and it'll make me think of other songs and I'll just go listen to them. But uh, I actually <laughs> want to talk about something else entirely, which was Dan's laugh. Uh, because the other day we were, Dan and I got to host a screening of Cool as Ice uh, that I mentioned earlier in the episode at the Nighthawk uh, Cinema. It's great. If you get a chance, go support uh, the Nighthawk. 
And Dan had never seen Cool as Ice before. And I had only seen it once when I was much younger. And it was so much fun uh, to watch this movie with Dan sitting next to me when he would, I would get to listen to him bl- crack up at all the silly bullshit. And it was really fun. So <laughs> I kind of, you know, that's yeah, uh, this is a recommendation for Dan's laugh. <laughs> watching a bad movie with friends, which is kind yeah. of the premise of <laughs> the whole it's endeavor. Great. But uh, no, that's. But if you haven't seen Cool as Ice in a long time, get some friends together. Watch that shit. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, Aaron, last name withheld, writes our second and final letter of the evening. Aaron Sorkin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dear Flophouse, I agree with what you said about my movie, the Being the Ricardos movie. It's E-R-I-N, so probably probably not Aaron Sorkin. Unlikely, unless he's doing a a double blind. Doing a trick. Um, I want to start up Start off by thanking you for your great goof-em-ups. They brighten my day. To set the scene for my question, you should know I'm not a movie aficionado by any means. I frequently confuse actors slash actresses. I never pay attention to who directed a film. And before listening to your podcast, would never have given any thought to the impact an actor versus writer versus director versus editor has on the end product. Basically, I'm a mindless media intake machine. I have a three-year-old who's starting to watch shows and movies with me. I have guilt around putting her in front of the TV, so I tend to comment a lot to try and keep her thinking and engaged. It's usually simple things like, where did that bear go? Or, (laughs) what is that silly girl doing? Or, that was funny. My question is, am I training her to be... All that could apply to The Shining. I assume that's what you're watching with (laughs) is The Shining. (laughs) Yeah. My question is, am I training her to be one of those horrible people who can't shut up while watching things? What are the qualities of a good movie watcher that I should be instilling in her? Thank, instilling in her. Thank you, Aaron. Last name withheld. I'd like to start off by just assuaging some worries here. I, this sounds like good parenting to me. I'm not a parent, but engaging the kid, you know, like talking, making sure that there's guidance uh, with the media. I don't think you have to worry. Like later on, maybe be like, okay, some people don't like to have people talking during the movies. We got to keep quiet in this situation. For right now, I think you're doing just fine. Uh, Ellie, what, what do you think, though? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the the main thing to, to – it's especially difficult during uh, these covid times where young kids are not really going to the movie theaters as far as I know because – at least my, my three-year-old is not because he's not vaccinated yet and I don't want to risk that. But my older kid – And there hasn't vaccinated. been any Lars von Trier releases. And yeah, and he's not interested. He's not interested until, until Lars, as he calls him, has has until Lars Uncle VT Lars. has another movie out. Yeah, Uncle Unky Lars. But the but when uh but I have taken my older son to the movie theater, and basically what I want to instill in him is, I mean, when you're at home, do whatever you want while watching. Yeah. A movie. Talk. All bets are off. Do 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 chores. Do the dishes maybe while you watch it on <laughs> an iPad. I think that's fine. But when you're in a theater, just remembering that there are other people in the room and you don't want to impose yourself on their experience. So as long as you're not bothering them, you can kind of go ahead and do whatever feels comfortable to you. You just want to remember there's other people in the theater. Uh, and that's kind of all you need to do. It's all about reading yeah. the room, literally. Yeah, if you're like me and you got a tinkle during the movie, make sure try and sit closer to the aisle so you're not uh, blocking anybody's view. Yeah. Because I'm mm-hmm. also a large, imposing man with these broad shoulders that I'm cursed with. And so the closer I sit to the aisle, the less I'll block people's view of the screen so that I don't disrupt anybody's appreciation of Johnny Knoxville and the gang's hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you don't need to be pitch silent during a 
like uh, as opposed to pitch perfect, pitch silent during a movie because sometimes part of the fun of going <laughs> you to do theater, have to be pitch perfect. You do have to be pitch perfect if you're going to sing along. Is, you have to be pitch perfect too. Anyway, I mean, if sorry. you're seeing the pitch perfect movies, uh, is that you want to be the, the reason you would go to see it in the theater is to share that experience with other people, with a crowd of people, and so like if you're reacting to something it's okay to have an audible reaction. And sometimes that makes it a better experience. Like there's, it's so, one of the things I do miss is going to a movie and hearing people go like, oh, when a thing happens in a movie that or uh, is exciting or unbelievable or everyone laughing at the same time, you know, that, that was kind of thing. The first time I went to a movie after, the first time after like the COVID lockdown, we went, Charlene and I went and saw Nobody and that was the big thing was hearing people react to like Bob Odenkirk beat the shit out of dudes. Yeah, or like the, um, a comedy movie is more fun when you're in a crowd that is laughing at it, you know? So, yeah, like aforementioned jackass. I, yeah, I exactly. also, would, I would like to say, you know, beyond just, just like taking it from a moment for a moment beyond sort of, uh, just politeness and, and etiquette, uh, stuff since the letter writer kind of went out of their way to say like, Oh, I don't know this or that thing about movies. I don't follow directors. I don't follow actors. I think that, for a beginning film goer, the best thing to think about is just like, what is this trying the movie trying to do? Like, let me engage with the movie on its own level. Like, what is the movie trying to do? How does it do it? Like, that's still a little complex for a child as young as we're talking, but I think that's kind of the most basic level to engage with the movie. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think that that's mm. if you want to, if you want to be an aficionado like like she's describing. I think that is true. But if you just want to be a movie enjoyer and you don't want to weigh yourself down with that stuff, I think all you need to be aware of is, am I liking this movie or am I not liking this movie? And that's it. No, that's like, true. You don't, that's... I, f I feel like if you're reviewing a movie, you owe it to know what the movie's trying to do. But if you're just there to see it, then, you know, you're there for, for fun. Who cares I the agree with you on the most basic level of just like, hey, if you just want to have fun, you know, I know girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper told me about it. Yeah, I don't guys want to have fun too, and guys everything also and everyone fun. else on the every other point on the on the people spectrum in general. Fun. Like fun is one of the top two or three things you can have. But I like if that's all you care about. Sure, yes, I was just taking it beyond that. If it if we want to move it into like becoming a budding like movie person, yes. I would say like figure out what a movie's doing and try and like meet the movie where it lives rather than you imposing like your own thing on a movie that which is also valid but just be aware of it but that's for further down the line yeah yeah sure um hey hey you know what what we I, also love, I love how that's your all-purpose segue for <laughs> segment is just hey, like, hey hey guys hey i don't know if you noticed but i'm in the room hey um, hey buddy let me tell you a thing uh the next thing we do on this podcast usually is to uh recommend a movie that we liked. That maybe so what are we doing here. instead? Because you said usually that's what no, we no, do. No, no, no. What that's are we doing we're today? Gonna, we're doing our usual We're still thing. doing it. Okay. Oh, okay. So, we are doing the usual thing. Oh, okay. Great. I, I, you know, to start off. Yeah. I would certainly recommend Cool as Ice if you haven't seen it. Yeah. If you're a person who listens to our podcast, you'll probably enjoy it. See it with a bunch of people. Don't see it alone. No, it but be more fun. But. I'm, I yeah, mean, you're right. So like, scary. It is yeah. one of those kind of movies where it feels like. Like, part of you wants to be like, this is a dumb, bad movie. But if somebody had tried to make a comedy like this, yes. they couldn't have done it better. That was my exact feeling. Like, yeah. my take on Cool as Ice is, like, 
this movie is basically the same as Zoolander. <laughs> like, it is a movie about a dumb narcissist who, like, everyone else treats as if he's, like, a dumb narcissist. But he's still kind of likable. He dresses and, like, well. The only difference is intent. Like, one movie is trying to be a comedy. The other movie's, like, I guess also kind of trying to be a comedy, but not yeah. the same way. Anyway, uh, but... What I what I will recommend is Turning Red, the Pixar movie. It's on Disney oh, Plus. I would have recommended it's, it too. It's great. Uh, it's a real delight. It's you know, it's a movie that is a maybe a weird thing to say about a movie about uh, a young girl who ch- turns into a giant red panda. The strong the strength of it is how realistic and well observed it is. It just seems grounded in real sort of younger teen lives in a way that Pixar hasn't done before. And it, you know, concerns itself with issues of like puberty and a, like a much more like straightforward way than I would have expected. And it has a lot of cultural specificity uh, about, you know, this character who is a young Chinese girl living in Toronto. Yeah. And location specificity. And yeah. uh, man, I just love the fucking, the character design of the friends is so great. It's I all love that. Lo- oh yeah. man, it's so awesome. It's really great. Uh, you know, if you've, if you've become maybe slightly disenchanted with Pixar over the last, like, I think that they've had some great stuff, but it's not been like the series of like home runs that it was maybe at its height. Like yeah. this is one you shouldn't, it's Miss, it's yeah it's say. it's so fun it's so great. Uh, um, I'm gonna recommend. Uh, I was I was also going to recommend that as oh. well, but that's fine. I also am gonna <laughs> recommend a movie called Shiva Baby, which is uh, another yeah. coming of age story similar to Ghostbusters. Man, we're on a tear here. I hope Elliot's got one queued <laughs> so up. Many, I don't really have a coming of age movie, but I can I can so, force it into that framework if you want. Uh, Shiva Baby, I'm gonna recommend because it's both a good movie and it was shot only a few blocks from where we're Dan and I are sitting right really? now. Uh, it is about a young woman who uh, attends the Shiva after a funeral, and she uh, has to see her parents, who we learn is kind of like are paying her bills. But then at the Shiva, she also runs into uh, one of her sugar daddies, who is also paying her bills, and the her only like port her only friendly face is an ex-girlfriend so it's this really interesting little uh almost like a like a one location play where we're seeing this woman have to deal with the kind of various identities uh that she kind of has and also the way that she exists in that like weird space between being a child and also being an adult um and being a sexual being and also being a child it's 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 great. Uh, and it's it's also like 80 minutes long, so it's great. Perfect. Speaking of movies that are 80 minutes long, uh, actually, this one's about 85 minutes long, the cut I saw of it. Uh, I want to recommend an old movie. You know it. I love old movies. This is the movie Backstreet from 1932 starring Irene Dunn. And it's the story of uh, a woman's life starting in the early 1900s and going up to the early 1930s uh, as a young woman – she falls in love with a man who is already engaged to another woman and kind of allows herself to be made into his mistress, not meaning for that to be the case, but that becoming her life. And it follows as she kind of gets um, 
carried along by him and constantly persuaded by him to come back to him when each time she thinks she's going to escape and get and become, you know, quote unquote respectable woman uh, and how her life kind of becomes twisted around his. And it's a very kind of old fashioned melodramatic movie, but uh, I loved Irene Dunn's performance in it. And I found it to be a very, in some ways, very clear eyed movie about how complicated human love relationships can be, you know, and it was not the kind of movie that uh, held this main character up for um, shaming or dishonor or anything like that. Characters in the movie do, but I feel like the film is always with her. And I just thought uh, it was a very melodramatic in a fun way, but also a very kind of uh, surprisingly mature look for a 1930s movie at that kind of um, life of uh, adultery and also to a certain extent um, being the kind of prisoner of another person's emotions. So that's Backstreet from 1932. Well, guys, uh, we did it. The afterlife. We crossed over. <laughs> yep. We came back. We reported. Uh, thank you for listening to The Flophouse. If you have a moment, go to iTunes and leave us a review. That helps spread the word about the show. It really does. Follow The Flophouse Pod on Twitter and The Flophouse Podcast on Instagram. And if you're over at YouTube... We put up uh, some videos from time to time at youtube.com slash the Flophouse podcast. Um, if you like merch, if you want to wear something that says the Flophouse on it or doesn't say the Flophouse on it, but is pretty or is a poster, whatever you want. There's multiple options. Go <laughs> to the Flophouse. Yeah, you don't wear you one. You wouldn't yes, you download silly. a movie. Uh, no, just go over to <laughs> flophousepodcast.com. There's a merch tab. Uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention we are a member of the Maximum Fun Podcasting Network. Go to MaximumFun.org to check out the other great podcasts on the network. And thank you, lastly, to our producer, Alex Smith, who is at Howell Dotty on Twitter. You can follow him to see what else he's up to. But thank you for listening. Until next time, I have been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I've been Elliot Kalen reminding you that if you're listening to this on the day of release, you can still have, for one day, a chance to download our Masters of the Universe show from last week. That's theflophouse.simpletix.com. Uh, and otherwise, just saying goodbye, and I hope to see you here again, but not literally see you, because it would mean you were in my house. And that would be creepy. I don't know you. One. Two. Three. What fun. Three guys. Ghostbusters movies. Ah, 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 ah. Actually, technically there's four. I'm but. looking forward to talking about all this stuff with just my two buddies. Two buds, no guests. Let's this is great. Mm-hmm. Lousy easy, guests. Easy peasy. Easy peasy <laughs> and lemon squeezy. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.